We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. My name is Henry H. I am a pothead and, alco- and alcoholic. My sobriety date is 10-18-18. I have a sponsor whose sobriety's date is 12-28-03, and he has a sponsor. Uh, I have come to believe that there are no coincidences. Things that I used to think were coincidence, I, I now don't believe that anymore. I think that there's some power greater than myself working in the world. And, for example, uh, today is March 10th, and I read the 24 hours a day from Hazelden, and it says that we have no way to help another alcoholic except to tell to tell them our own story of how we found our way out. So this basically is my story of how I found my way out, how I found my way out of stinking thinking of alcoholism and drug addiction and uh, focusing on the next high, the next drunk, the next time to get loaded. How can I arrange that? I had the, the... the alcohol or the pot to get high, what time can I do that? The experience for me was, it was a lot of fun at first because it was sneaking around and hiding things. And uh, I got a kick out of the, the sneaking around, especially since when I was smoking, it was illegal and still in many states, uh, the state where I live right now, it's still illegal. So there was that, in addition to the intoxication, there was the sneaking around, which was was a high for me. And I'll explain later on when I stopped using pot when I turned to alcohol. Growing up, I didn't believe that I could become an alcoholic or an addict. Growing up, I was told that, uh, oh, Alcohol is part of your culture, and don't worry about it. I'm Jewish, and we have wine on Friday night after a blessing. And then at Passover, there's four cups of wine during the uh, Passover meal. And there's even a holiday called Purim where someone the there's some instruction there that the person, an adult, of course, not underage, is supposed to get drunk enough to not be able to recognize the name, to not be able to separate the name of the hero or the villain. So I was told, oh, you know, since it's available, since it's not hidden, since children get little sips of wine growing up, uh, and you're just not going to be an alcoholic. So I didn't think that that was really an option for me. I do remember also as a kid being at... uh, parties or social gatherings and i lived in the what's called a a railroad flat 
what that means is there's really no doors to the rooms. You go, you walk into the house and you walk through the whole house. And some of the rooms have doors on them off the main hallway, but there's, there's no, it really isn't a hallway. It just goes from one room to the next. And we lived upstairs. My cousins lived downstairs and they were having a social gathering of some kind. And then I went, remember being uh, a preteen and found Southern Comfort in their pantry and drank some Southern Comfort out of the bottle and thought, oh, that's pretty good. And uh, went back to their pantry a couple of weeks later and the bottle had been moved. So apparently someone was keeping track of how much was in the bottle. The, the adolescence was really, I was a, I was a goody two shoes. And didn't didn't do things that would have gotten me in trouble, either with a substance or without a substance, until and really until I graduated high school. And I can remember even talking to kids who were a year ahead or a year before, a year ahead or a year behind me in school, and I said, "Boy, am I grateful that that." Pot hadn't gone to high school when I was still going to high school. It came the year year later because I I know that I would have used it in high school and it probably would have affected uh, would have affected me then the same way it affected me later. And using pot was I used pot for the same reason lots of other speakers talk about using uh, using alcohol. It was to be part of a group. And with the group I was in at the beginning was a very large group. And as the years went past, that group got smaller and smaller until I wound up smoking by myself. And uh, then because of legal reasons that I was getting into a career that I was scared that using pot would cost me my career. And I'll get to talk about that later, too. um, I turned to alcohol. What a what a great idea. Instead of getting high on pot, I'll just get high on alcohol. And so there were episodes of uh, all the stupid shit that people do. Vomiting in public, laying on the floor in public. Uh, I was very lucky. I now say the word blessed sometimes, but I wasn't blessed. Maybe it was. Maybe I was blessed not to get arrested but i was very lucky i didn't have a dwi i didn't lose a job i didn't get thrown out of school i didn't have any of that stuff but i certainly did um i can't i can't go back to the grand canyon anymore not because they won't let me but because a cousin and i were walking outside walking along the path there's a guardrail up so no one inadvertently falls into the grand canyon and we were drinking, I don't remember, it could have been scotch, it could have been bourbon, with something out of a brown bag. Then we went to have dinner with our spouses in uh, not a fancy restaurant, but a restaurant up there on the Grand Canyon. And uh, probably 60 or 90 seconds after we sat down at the restaurant with a white tablecloth, I puked all over the table. Well, needless to say, it was embarrassing. 
to everybody else at the table except the guy that I got drunk with. And he became belligerent and wanted the waiter to clean it up immediately. I don't know if I could ever go back to the Grand Canyon because of all those memories I just described. So the alcohol, even though it wasn't a drug of choice, it was it was legal and I could do it. And if I was able to limit it to when I wasn't working, then I could continue to drink and I could continue to get drunk and I could continue to be silly and stupid. And I did. I know I have experiences and I've heard lots of other people talk about them. Also, you get in, you get home, you wind up home and you realize how the hell did I get here? How does a car know the way home? Because I sure don't remember making any turns. I just started the car and wound up home. And uh, uh, it's it just blows me away that it could have been that. I look back at now, is that stupid to drive so fucked up that I don't even remember making the turns. I don't remember stopping at stoplights. Um, but apparently... I must have done something right because I didn't get a ticket, didn't get a DWI, and wound up at home. Anyway, I I don't, I'm not even necessarily comfortable talking about all the stupid things I did. I'm, I'm much more interested in talking about how, how I got to the rooms. My wife wanted me to go to AA. I first accused her of being a drunk. Then, then she said, no, you're the one who has a problem. And then we argued back and forth about that. And um, so I said, well, I bet you can't even stop drinking for a month. She said, yeah, I can. You can't. And I couldn't. I couldn't stop for a month. So I went to my first AA meeting. And... It was the topic was blackouts. And because I was a newcomer, they asked me to share, they invited me to share. And I said, well, my name is Henry and I don't remember any blackouts. Well, of course, everybody in the audience laughed because that was the whole point. But I was insulted. I was so insulted and so upset about everybody laughing at me that I walked out of that meeting at the end of the meeting and wouldn't come back for a year. I didn't come back for a year. During that year, it was uh, a lot of white knuckling to get through the week because I wouldn't drink during the week when I was working. Or if I wasn't working, then it, it didn't have to white knuckle at all. I could just drink in the afternoon or drink in the evening I didn't often, I can't, well, I suppose there were some times when I would drink in the morning, but not very often. It was more afternoon, evening, or or on Friday afternoon when I got off work. For me, my, I, I never, see, I shouldn't even say never. I don't remember going to work under the influence. I don't think I ever did, or if, maybe under the influence of a hangover. But I wasn't drunk when I went to work. And I'm grateful for that. Very grateful. So a year after this time when the 
audience laughed at me for not remembering any blackouts. My wife said again, you know, it's really, you really do need to go back. And I picked up the phone app, uh, meeting, meeting guide. And during the year from the time I walked out of the meeting until the time I was ready to go back, another meeting had opened up directly on the road close to home, in between work and home. A meeting had started at a church on the way home. And I I turned off the road and I went into the meeting. It was in the basement of a church. And I sat down. And the first thing I felt as the meeting started was acceptance. That I was accepted in that group that it didn't matter what work I had just come from. It didn't matter what car I had driven up there. It didn't matter what clothes I had on. It didn't, nothing mattered that the people sitting around that circle accepted me. And that was such an incredible relief that I, I don't remember what I shared that night, but I shared something that night. And a couple of people came up to me after the meeting and said, well, come on back. We meet here every Tuesday night. And I came back the next week to that same group. And the second emotion I felt the second week was hope. That I looked around the room and there were people there who had, who had really what I wanted. They had a sense of self that was relaxed, complete, serene, at peace. Uh, there were different words to describe it, and, and I'm sure the people that I, that I assigned these feelings to wouldn't necessarily have felt them the way I described them. But when I looked around the room and looked at, in, in their face, at their faces and in their eyes and heard their talk, heard their shares, to me, they represented those things that I wanted in my life. And when I had come to that room the week before, I, I really wanted the pain to stop. I wasn't even thinking about necessarily, can I drink like a gentleman and can I learn how to drink right? And, and uh, uh, the, the, the substance had lost some of its or a lot of its appeal. And what I was going there for, the reason I went, or the reason at least I thought I went, the reason I said okay to my wife, was because I was tired of hurting. I was tired of the pain. And by being accepted and then feeling hope the next week, I, I saw that there was a way out. And I asked someone that night to be my sponsor. And for those of you who happen to be listening to this, for me, having a sponsor was, is, not was, is critically important. It, he just helped me understand so much about this program, so much about AA, and so, and helped me learn a lot about myself. And I'm sure he would say, well, I'm really not a teacher. I'm just, explaining my own situation and talking to you about how I dealt with what you're dealing with now. But the way he said it just went directly 
from my ear into my brain, and maybe from my brain into my heart, and probably from my heart into my soul. And he had such a kind way of sharing his life and sharing his experiences that it helped me, I, I can't even measure how much, just helped me tremendously. I think the change in me, I can see, I can feel the change in me. And I, I, I haven't really taken a survey of the people around me. I know the woman I live with, my wife says my mood is a hell of a lot better. Um, but I haven't asked her to list 10 attributes that are different now than they were on Octo- in October of 2018. Uh, I feel like I've changed. I just know that the anger that I had is dissipated a great deal. That the, the impatience with the world has disappeared a great deal that the needing to have things uh, I can remember walking out of a Walmart because it filled my basket my with, with what I was going to buy and because the line was moving too slow walked out left, left my cart there and just walked out I can also remember going to a McDonald's and uh uh, they said, uh, well, pull your car up, uh, you know, to 10 feet, whatever. We'll bring it out to you. When they didn't bring it out in 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 a, in a short enough time from my impatience, I walked in and said, who's the manager? And I said to the manager, I can't remember still. I said, people don't come here because the food is good. People come here because the food is fast and you're not fast enough. And I walked out. So I, can, I I would even conceive of doing that today. I might not go to McDonald's today, but I w- if I did, I would never uh, complain about how quick or how slow the food was served. And and the same way with the other example I just gave, which I can't even remember right now. <laughs> um, I just don't have that impatience that I used to have. I have a certain kind of peace a certain kind of acceptance, a certain kind of serenity that uh, I know I can't prove to anyone, but I know that there's a power greater than myself in the world. And if you want to call him God or her God or it God, that's fine. If you want to call it spirit, that's fine. It doesn't matter what you call it, it, and it doesn't matter what I call it. I just know that there's something bigger than myself, greater than myself, more alive than myself that is in this world. And whether that that being or that spirit has control of my life, I don't I don't that's beyond my pay grade to know that. I know that I want to believe and I want to I want to practice. I want to live my life in a way that acknowledges that there's a power greater than myself. I want to live my life in a way that 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 power greater than myself would be able to make an assessment and say, yeah, he's doing all right. Okay, 
I'll get another day. I do believe that any day that I wake up is, it's not because um, I did exercise the day before. It's because I've been given another day to get up and that this power greater than myself has control over whether I live or die. And maybe that, uh, I, I don't know whether, how much control on a, I don't, I don't have those answers. I know that I want to live my life in a way that I'm living on the right side of the road, the right side of the street. I'm living in a way that I want to live my life in a way that a power greater than myself would say, okay, son, you did a good job today. And that's really, really how things have changed for me. I'm so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous because it's given me a chance to reconnect with the traditions and the spirituality of my past. I can remember, as I said earlier, being a young boy in a Jewish synagogue and and uh, uh, the uh, elders in the synagogue and probably my father also said, well, don't look up at the front right now. There's a group of, of people who are going to say a blessing up in front and they're going to take their prayer shawls and cover their heads up and hold their hands up in a certain way. And, and God's presence is going to be up there during this blessing. And don't look up there. You know, you need to look away. Well, hell, of course I looked up. And when I didn't get struck down and when I didn't get blinded by the light, I said, well, bullshit, there is, you know, there is nothing up there that just this is just more the same, the same stuff that they're trying to make me believe so that I behave. So I stay in line. Well, I did stay in line, but I didn't believe. The the chance to come back to Jewish tradition and see this time around how much the Jewish ethic is close to the Christian ethic, is close to the Buddhist ethic, is close to the Hindu ethic, that, and go on down the line to the uh, uh, Native American ethic. Uh, it just blows me away that I can have a group, and one of the groups I'm in is, uh, and we joke about it, there's a a Catholic, a Jew, and a Southern Baptist, and we have the most wonderful discussions about power greater than ourselves, and religion, and God, if there is a God, and how do we want to conduct our lives, and that's because of AA. The three of us are in AA, and the three of us have worked together on our AA programs. And and so now we have a chance to work together on our spiritual programs. And really for me, as much as it's a gift that I don't have to worry about, do I have the money to get high when I wake up in the morning? Do I have the money to get high? Do I have, and more so, do I even have the opportunity to get high today? And can I do that before, after this, or before, after that? And, uh, yeah, let's have a few drinks before we go to the party. And all the planning and all that is very, very important to be lifted from me, that I don't have to do all that. And secondly, I now I have a chance to talk about spiritual things and experience spiritual things that I never thought were going to be important to me. 
and they have become much more important than they ever were. I said earlier on that um, I would explain what I did. I am a practicing physician. I still, I'm not working full-time anymore, but I still work 24-hour shifts many times per year. And uh, what my specialty is obstetrics and gynecology. And it was the only thing that was more important to me than having a drink or getting a joint was maintaining my license. I would not, at least I didn't think I was putting my license at risk. Of course I was, but I was kidding myself that I wouldn't put my license at risk by, by coming to work drunk or coming to work smelling of pot or smelling of alcohol. So that was a struggle to get up. And whether it was a 12-hour shift or 24-hour shift or shorter, to get up, go to the office or go to the hospital and not stop on the way and pull off to the side of the road and, and, and smoke half a joint or something. Um, as far as I can remember, and of course I didn't remember any blackouts back in my f- first meeting before the first meeting. I don't ever remember doing that. And as I've gotten into my sobriety a little bit more, to be rigorously honest, I probably went to work when I was hungover or when the, I don't know how many hours after the last hit or how many hours after the last drink. I don't believe I smelled from alcohol or pot, but I do believe that I was influenced by the drug in my work. And that's hard for me to admit. It was hard for me to admit that to myself for years. I said, oh, no, no, I I don't go to work high. I don't go to work drunk. And that probably is true. But I certainly went to work somehow under the influence. And I know I would have been a, I believe, I don't know, but I believe I would have been a better obstetrician, a better gynecologist, a better father, a better husband, a better doctor, if I hadn't been a pothead and alcoholic. And I used to really criticize myself and feel badly that, oh, you were, you did this and you did that and you could have done that and you could have done this. And through AA, I'm learning that I can't take those years back, really can't take those years back. I really can't change the interactions I had with people, whether I was short-tempered because I was irritable, because I was coming down off of a high, or because I didn't think clearly and made decisions that negatively affected someone's uh, life or pain. 
I I can only go forward. I can only affect. I can only change what I'm going to do today. When I go to work now, my attitude is much different. It seems to me my attitude is much different than it was in the past. That when when people say, hey, how are you today? I say, I'm great. Sometimes I say I'm wonderful. And it, it's amazing to me to see how people respond like that. I um, <laughs> I said to... I said that to someone just the other day. I said, yeah, I'm wonderful. And it was a woman, and she looked at me and said, you know, that's really great. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, I, you know, I, people say, yeah, they're fine, they're fine. And, and uh, we started talking. I don't know if she was a member of AA or not. We started talking, and, and uh, we spoke for three or four minutes. And she had a really... A really good conversation. That's all for me saying, hey, how are you? I said, I'm wonderful. So I try now to conduct my life that each day is a, is is really a gift. For me, each day is a gift. Each day is a gift of being sober. Each day is a gift of being alive. Each day is a gift where I'm trying to live my life in a way that would please me and please my higher power. And I could have never have said that without this program. I could have never said what I was, I could never have been so clear in my mind what I'm grateful for without the AA program to help me understand that. I've gotten so many tools of (laughs) daily living that it's still it still impresses me. I have a big smile on my face right now because I know that that's uh, oh, uh, Martha Stewart, daily living or ways to have a good life or a good living or whatever the phrase is that she uses. That's what I, I would like to live that way. And I really believe I have a chance to do that every day. And to a large extent, that chance is because of AA. And to an even larger extent, that chance is because I'm allowing myself to see a power greater than myself, to feel the power greater than myself, to believe that there's a power greater than myself. And it doesn't matter. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter what you call that power. For me, I know that it's it's helped me a great deal and helped me to be a better physician and a better man and hopefully a better husband and father also. I'm so glad I'm on this journey. I'm so grateful to my wife for saying it's time to go back to AA. I'm so grateful for whatever power made me turn in off the street into uh, Mount Gilead Baptist Church parking lot that uh, I feel right now my heart is full and my soul is full. And thank you all for, for listening and clicking on whatever episode I am. 
99. You're episode 99, Henry. Episode 99. Okay. Episode 99. Thank you for your story. If you have time, I have questions. Uh, and our okay. listeners that don't want to stick around for the Q&A can drop off and have a short listen today. But I do have a handful of questions, and now we have time to to answer them. So okay. it always amazes me when people are in the program and they're Jewish. And I don't know if it's the meetings that I go to that seem to be very New Testament heavy, or if it's just because that's where I come from, my upbringing. But I I want to hear a little bit about that piece of your perspective, because I don't know, you mentioned several times that you want to live your life in a way, you didn't use the word pride or proud, but you implied you want your higher power to be proud of you. And is that part of your upbringing, part of your parents, part of being Jewish, or is it just part of Henry? Um, I think, I don't, I think it's part of my parents. It's part of upbringing. It's part of being um, a gentleman, part of being a mensch. I don't know if that's a Hebrew, a Yiddish word or German word, but being a mensch is more than being a gentleman. Being, being a gentleman might be to, uh, open the, being chivalrous and open the car door for a woman. Being a mensch is saying beforehand, I got this evening covered. You don't need to worry about anything. And then opening the door and, and just helping that woman have or that person have a, a a comfortable evening, a comfortable time, whatever they were doing. So yeah, I think it's I think that I want my higher power to be pr- proud of me has to do with I would like my parents to be proud of me. Um. So it is upbringing. Hmm. Yes, yeah, upbringing. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I was curious about that one. When you began your story, you shared with passion how much you enjoyed sneaking around, hiding things, getting a kick out of of doing that. Yes. Do you still have that enjoyment of hiding things? How has the program changed this notion of secrets? Um. That is a very insightful question because I would say from the personal work I'm doing with a professional outside of AA, one of the character, one of, one of my characteristics is hiding, hiding my feelings, hiding who I am. And it takes, it's been, it has taken lots of work to open up the book, to uncover the the feelings, to push the uh, smokescreen away. So this is a really difficult question to answer. I don't get the, I don't get joy out of hiding anymore. It's more, when I recognize that I'm hiding, it's more that I have to do the work to, 
uncover what it is that I'm hiding. So it's, it's, I think it's hiding in two different senses of the word. At the beginning, I was sneaking around, just sneaking, being a sneak, trying to, trying to fool my parents or trying to fool the powers that be or trying, you know, trying to fool the, uh, the school administration or hospital administration, whatever that, yeah, I'm really okay. I'm really doing this. I'm really fine, but real, uh, I'm, I'm fine. However, what I was doing was sneaking something on the side. So sneaking it be, would be the word that I would use. That was part of the, part of the enjoyment of using at the beginning it was sneaking sneaking it and whether it's sneaking it in uh, uh, the attic of my house or sneaking it behind uh, uh, a building somewhere on campus it was sneaking it the the hiding that's a much deeper question and i think for me it's more a question of having to hide my personality because of personality defects or not wanting to let other people know who I really am or if they know who I really am they'll really think I'm a piece of shit and won't, won't be willing to uh, befriend me or or like me so that's more of a I think that's a very psychological psychiatric question of hiding myself or hiding my personality so people don't know who I am. And, and maybe I don't, I'm, I'm an OBGYN, not a psychiatrist. So I don't know if, if hiding, hiding is uh, so much a part of my personality that it can't ever be expunged. Or if um, if that's just uh, a normal part of going through the process, I can't answer that better than that. <laughs> that was a, as I said, a very insightful question. Very good, Tara. You should go on TV and start <laughs> asking people questions. <laughs> no, no, no. Fame is not okay. for me. Okay. When I was hearing you answer that, I thought. You know, because you're coming up, it'll be, so you're just had about three and a half years. You're so, the love, loving yourself seems like the solution. I have this sign in the, in the bathroom, my bathroom, the boys' bathroom, uh, the children's bathroom is gray and white. And I put up a pink sign and it says, be you. It doesn't match at all. And it's very intentional, right? It's. That's the whole point. And the kids love it. I've heard them talk about it. And I feel like if we can just love ourselves, we can completely be ourselves and not give a shit what anybody feels like. So if you're proud of yourself, and I know that's important to you to be proud of yourself and proud of your behavior, then eventually the love for yourself will come too. And you'll be totally okay with being yourself and the hiding parts of you won't be even thought about someday. I believe, I believe that that's what the program has done for me. It's doing for me. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I think it can do it for you too. Well, that's something to look forward to. And that's another example of how 
you asked me to do this for other people to listen. And uh, what you've just given to me is, is a gift. So thank you. Thank you. It is such an honor and a privilege to record these episodes. I get to be the first listener and I get to ask questions and it's, it's just an honor. So thank you for, for sticking here with me with all these extra questions, but you did go short, Henry. So I got more. <laughs> you got more well, answers. In you. Oh, yo, Hey, I, I, I'm surprised I didn't take 45 to 55 minutes. So yes, I'm, I'm ready to talk. All right. uh, I'm much better at answering questions. I think than it just, uh, uh, spontaneously filling an hour. Well, <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> I've gotten feedback from folks that have a lot of feedback. People really enjoy answering the questions. So we've, right. we've told our story so many times. It's like, yes, a- answer, ask me questions. Ask me questions. Okay. So you introduce yourself as a pothead and an alcoholic. Right. And I've heard you share a little bit about why you do that. But for everyone else, tell us why when you sit down in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you introduce yourself as, my name is Henry, I'm a pothead and an alcoholic. Okay. Um, I, I started doing that because that's the truth. My drug of choice, as I said, was pot to begin with. I changed to alcohol because alcohol was legal. And a little bit about that. I'll get to answer your question in a second. Right after, right after I joined AA, my wife and I were coming to California to visit family. And I went to my home group and said, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about going to California because marijuana is legalized and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And they said, just, just don't worry about it. Just go to a meeting. The first night you're there, go to an AA meeting. Things will be fine. So my wife and I flew to Sacramento airport and we got in a, a um, the first time I think it was a, it was a taxi. We didn't, we didn't even rent a car. We had to take a taxi somewhere. And we're going down the highway, and she didn't even notice it. But I saw this huge billboard. To me, it was a huge billboard that said, Now in Sacramento, marijuana delivered. <laughs> I thought, oh, great. Just what I needed. If that was the case, when I was smoking, I would never have gotten out of the house. So it's still... if. Uh, I think it still is a drug of choice. And I started saying it in response to what someone else said at another me- at, a, at a meeting. But, uh, it was the other reason. And then I was almost ready to stop saying it because someone else at another meeting said, I don't want to bring it. This guy used to introduce himself as a blind drunk. Because he was blind, he would sit there with his with his uh, assist dog and um, ask for rides home from the meeting. and And then one day he said, "I'm I'm just I'm just whatever his first name. I'm Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm not going to say blind drunk anymore because it draws attention to me." So I was thinking about it and talked about stopping saying, "I'm a pothead and alcoholic," 
because it was, I felt, well, maybe I'm just drawing attention to myself. Well, since then, and very soon after that was the first time, two different men have come up to me after AA meetings and thanked me for saying I'm a pothead and alcoholic. Uh, One fairly recently in particular said, you know, I was able to give up alcohol relatively easily, but I can't stop smoking pot. Do you have time to talk to me? And uh, I did. Well, I said, yes. I said, sure, of course, I have time to talk. And we talked then and we have exchanged phone numbers. And it's probably a year now that he's coming to he's coming to my home group meetings. (laughs) And he's I I don't think he according to him, he's not had anything to smoke for the last uh, nine or ten months. So it's. I'm going to keep saying it. If it helped, if it helped one person, and the other, and the other person said, you know, we, he he was just in passing, but you know, maybe there's maybe there'll be somebody else six months from now who will come up to me after a meeting and say thanks for saying that. So that's really the reason I do it. At first, it was it is the truth, not was it is the truth. I'm still an alcoholic, and I'm definitely still a pothead. I'm just not using. And I haven't used for a while. But, but I, I too often go back to thinking that way, like a pothead or an alcoholic. And that's the work that I need to do every day, is to stay in the moment, stay connected somehow, either by rote or by, by, by meditation, either some days it's just by repetition and it's by rote. And some days I really feel a deeper connection by, by having that connection with a higher power. So another great question. (laughs) Lay another one on me. Well, I love that you, I love that you say that. And I love watching old timers kind of cringe because they like their, their rules. But when I preface my housekeeping items before we start recording, I tell every single person, please do not hold back. If these other things are a part of your story, share them because I've met very few people that just have a problem with alcohol. And I happen to be one of them. However, about a year and a half into sobriety, maybe a little bit more I justified smoking pot because I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous to quit drinking. I'm not drinking, so pot's okay. At the time, it was medically, you had to go to a quote-unquote doctor to get it, and then, mm-hmm. and so I justified it. And so just recently, I changed my sobriety date and shaved off two years because, <laughs> you know, I came to the rooms for sobriety, and it's important for me to be, and it's okay if people want to be California sober, that's fine, but that's not what I'm in the rooms for, right? right. So you don't have to um, be just an alcoholic to find help in these rooms. Um, so anyways, I appreciate that you share it, and I appreciate that you say it that way, and I love the story of helping people by sharing the truth, and that's what you do. Okay, I'm done rambling now. I have questions, I promise. So, in the big book, it says, and we believe as part of the promises, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And I feel like you've probably come a long way 
from when you first started working with your sponsor. But I'm one, and I feel like you probably still have a long ways to go, perhaps because of your career. I feel and hear like anxiety in your voice when you kind of talk about how things could have been different in your career and how you could have served patients a little bit differently had you gotten sober sooner. But tell us how it's been changed in the last three and a half years. So when you first started working with your sponsor and how you felt about yourself and how it looks today. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Has that expression changed for you? Uh, It's going to take me a long time before I truly don't regret the past. That's, 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 it's just going to take a long time. I have uh, guilt is uh i don't know if it's just jewish guilt or i, mean, I know uh the guy that i talked about earlier catholic guilt i mean the nuns instill guilt and jewish mothers instill guilt and so yes i feel i feel i think it's gonna take me a long time not to regret the past and not to regret what i wasted on the other hand i don't dwell on it as much as i used to oh, oh that's not even that's an understatement uh, sometimes I'll, I'll hit a memory and I'll say, boy, you really fucked that up. Or why couldn't you have changed sooner? Or why did you waste all that time and self-criticism? But I think that a lot of that, a lot of regretting the past is really saying, you know, that's who I was when I was 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. That's who I was. And it wasn't that I was a bad person. I just did some uh, things that uh, I did some things I'm not proud of, some bad things. And I did the best I could with what I had to work with at the time. Many times I can I can say that, but a lot of times I still, it, the feeling is still of guilt and regret. So that's that's getting closer to fulfilling that promise, but it's not there yet. It's funny when you started reading one of the promises, one of the ones that got, that I thought of when I first heard the promises is that things that used to baffle you <laughs> will become clear. That's not, it's not an exact quote, but it is, I couldn't even imagine having that promise come true. And there are a lot of times things that used to baffle me now are easily understood. So if that promise could come to be, I'm, I'm hopefully working towards when the one you refer to happens also. You now have tools to kind of stop that train of thought, or you can just say to yourself, that's who I was. I had the tools I had at the time. And you don't beat yourself up over the head about it, which does no good at all. In terms of that feeling you had in the basement of the church of the first thing I felt was acceptance when you sat down, and then the second week you felt hope. And in these people, what these people represented to you anyway was this complete, serene, relaxed, at-peace aura about them. 
Do you yes. have that today? And what does it look like? Oh, um, yeah, I think I have some of that. Um, one of the stories in the book book is it, it's a woman talking about she is a Native American. And she's talking about what she and her partner do. They, or maybe maybe the book explains that what she and her partner do is run groups for Native Americans. And within the story, she talks about magic. And not the magic of a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat or a, a very long scarf out of his elf out of his sleeve. But the magic that she's talking about is the magic that happens in a room when a group of Alcoholics Anonymous is meeting and sharing and being authentic with each other, that there is magic in the room, this Native American magic. And maybe it's the presence of a power greater than ourselves in that room. Um, but I, I can, I can't say every single meeting that I feel that, but frequently, more often than not, there's that magic of Alcoholics Anonymous in the room, that magic of, a, of a spirit in that room. So for me, that's the meetings are one place where I feel that contentment, that peace, that, uh, ease and i also know that i can i feel that when i'm talking to another alcoholic when i'm talking to the people there's two men right now that that have asked me to be their sponsor and i know when i talk to them and interact with them i feel that that peace also and so uh, from these two guys' responses to me and things that I've heard at meetings, I think that that peace that I feel inside does get projected outside of me. And I think other people can recognize that or feel that also. And I think that only comes from it only comes from the combination of being sober. And having an openness to having a power greater than myself present in my life. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.